any signs of life? We sent up a drone craft. It took these readings. Crikey, Charlie, look at that. Oh, I know somebody love a look at that. Hold to open. Hold to open. Yes, and what do you do? I'm not a taxi service, you know. You materialised around her. I'm not entirely sure what's going on. Tell him something, quick. Come on, then, everyone. Here comes the drums! Oh, here it comes, the sound of drums. Here come the drums, here come the drums. Welcome to Pull to Open, an ongoing quest with Sonic Screwdrivers to watch every single story in the television show that we know as Doctor Who in entirely random order. My name is Chris Taylor. And I'm Pete Paschal, and welcome to the big game. It's the big game day. Actually, it's a little week after the big game day. That Today's the big game day. But the game that you want to hear is like Pull to Open versus an adventure of Doctor Who, two learned journalists who occasionally write about Doctor Who going head-to-head with an adventure in space and time. That's what's happening here That's today. Right. That's right. It's not. It's Doctor versus Doctor. It's story versus story. And uh, we're seeing some of that today. And it's, it's really, I mean, taking this random trip uh, really gives us some interesting connections. But now it's starting to tell a story. And I'm going to tell mm-hmm. you the story of where we've been and a little bit. We're going to tease a little bit about the random connections. Uh, but three episodes ago, we were at a uh, Chris Chibnall joint called Revolution of the Daleks, in which the Doctor had been away for 10 months in space jail and the fan was very upset about it. Two episodes ago, that might be relevant, I may be foreshadowing, two episodes ago, <laughs> We were at the Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe. Another holiday special, a little bit more Christmassy with Matt Smith. Uh, And that turned out to be very close in space and time to where we are today. Uh, And uh, introduced a whole host of other things, including how how nutty the Doctor is when he doesn't have human companions around and how he needs to gather lots of people and show off. Uh, That may become relevant. And last time, we went to another another special was originally intended to be a holiday special it ended up being uh, david tennant's last uh, pre-holiday adventure the waters of mars in which we discussed some cute robots uh, <laughs> and also uh, i'll just get this out of the way now we had the cloister bell podcast on and i've been kicking myself for the last week because we did not mention the fact that The Waters of Mars is one of the relatively few Doctor Who adventures that has a cloister bell in it. That is mm, why the randomizer took us there, above all other reasons. So, sorry, Cloister Bell Podcast. Uh, love you, Cloister Bell Podcast. We really should have given your name more of a shout-out in that episode. However, the Cloister Bell Podcast then took us, because uh, they, Rob and Liam, decided our next random adventure... And they took us to one that didn't immediately seem like it had any connection to any of these three adventures. And that is Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. Yes, Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. You may know it better as the Doctor Who episode that poses the question of what if the first Doctor Who story was called Phone Box in a Junkyard? Or the second, (laughs) Mutant in a Mark III Travel Machine, whatever they were called. Um, No, it's, it's a very... Uh, perhaps the most obvious title that tells the entire story in Doctor Who history that's 
what you might remember it for. You might remember it as being a bit of a light romp, but it has connections to literally everywhere we've been in the last three weeks, uh, specifically that being away for 10 months thing, which the ponds happen happened to handle very, very differently than the fam did. Um, and yeah. Uh, yeah, we're going to invite uh, Chris Chibnall, the, the writer of Revolution of the Daleks, to sit down and take a few notes from this 2012 writer, checks notes, Chris Chibnall. Um, <laughs> I think those two yes. guys could should get together and maybe there's some things they can uh, learn from. But yeah, uh, here we are, dinosaurs on a spaceship. You've got a dinosaur in the background there, Pete. I love it. Um, Thanks, yeah. Except after a trio of specials, we're at a not special episode. <laughs> Do I mean that literally or figuratively? Tune in later. But I will say that the title, uh, the obviousness of the title, may be only tied by Let's Kill Hitler. Also, <laughs> also of this era. Uh, but Let's so. Kill Hitler didn't, didn't actually live up to the title, unfortunately. True, true. But Blink did. So that one that one's a little more of an imperative. So And and also stay tuned for Chris's History Corner, in which dinosaurs on a spaceship will be improbably tied to Hitler. Oh wow, man. I want to cut oh, yeah. right to that. Because <laughs> of that, I'm just gonna cut right to the pull to open feedback loop, everybody. Yes. We've entered the part of the show where we want to continue and inspire conversation with you, our listeners. Uh, for starters, we love it when our listeners have tons of fun listening. Uh, in case you've missed the last couple of weeks and you haven't seen it, there is actually a poll to open bingo card designed by one Joe, the chosen one on Twitter. And you can go there to either our Twitter profile or the show notes and we'll link to it. And you can just play along and stamp squares like, uh, Bicount Banger or yes. <laughs> Chris's History Quarter, which is coming up later. You're going to get per- that. <laughs> perhaps a cheesy segue. I don't know if what I just did counts, but just stay tuned. I'll have some uh, more for you. Not, not so. cheesy enough. Not cheesy enough. Um, but, but speaking of bingos, uh, we don't just have that bingo card. We've been talking for some time, and we're going to have to do this eventually, I think, of getting bingos as we go along our random journey. Um, and, and Pete? Uh, we're, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tease Dinosaurs of Spaceship a little bit just by saying that we now have a Queen Nefertiti bingo. <laughs> Queen Nefertiti bingo? She's yes, in another episode she's in another episode and we've been there. And I'm going to leave you with that thought. Okay. <laughs> My goodness, you, I should you know think this. on that as we continue. Just, you know, throwing a few cliffhangers here into the uh, feedback loop. Well, I'll definitely say well, we're nowhere near Dinosaur bingo. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're because- not. There is uh, well, obviously Invasion of the Dinosaurs, but you know a bunch of other references and or appearances of various creatures. Uh, something, what was the first? Deep Breath, that was a good one too. So, Deep Breath, yes. I think uh, this but... might be our first entry in the dinosaur bingo card. I could be wrong. It could be, yeah. And our yeah. first, is it our first Silurian adventure? Actually, good or question. Silurian adjacent? Uh, because I do know there were dinosaurs in a, in a previous Silurian. And uh, yeah, technically, the Protonestra gang always counts as like mm. taking that Silurian bingo card. I don't yeah. think we've done any of those though. So mm. yeah, we're not. This is really at the beginning of our Silurian uh, bingo card too. Sweet. So good times. All right, moving on in the feedback loop, guys. You know what makes podcasts overjoyed? It is, <laughs> of course, reviews. Yes, if you would go to the Apple Podcast app or the Spotify app on your phone and leave a rating or review or both if you can uh we very much appreciate it they really do help the show they'll increase our visibility on both of those apps and we could spread 
the good word of Pulta open to even more listeners. So please go ahead, leave a review. And if you are so inclined, please go ahead, leave a, an emoji title of a Doctor Who story in there. So a Doctor yes. Who title in the form of emojis. It's, we love that. We'll introduce uh, our segment uh, or continue our segment where I try to flummox Chris on your uh, on your emoji title. He'll he does he does he won't look at them. I promise you. I will. I'll make sure uh, we get yes. it all out to everybody. Uh, but you know, you, you don't have to stump me. You could do something easy like a dinosaur emoji and a rocket emoji. There you go. Uh, and, Boom! We uh, just did yeah. one exactly. Yeah. Reviews on an app. <laughs> all right speaking of spotify hey guys uh there's special stuff just for you on the app not only can you rate the show but we will be giving more polls every week so you'll either be able to vote give your voice on the rating so as you know we have four ratings uh in our rating system and we always give every episode either a dalek ogron professor hater or viscount banger explanations coming later uh so you can also <laughs> give your rating uh, and occasionally we'll even ask if you think our explanations for, uh, say, the Claire Splinter or the evil plot succeeding in our four questions to Doomsday at the end of every episode, you can vote on those too. So we actually wow. have some results from a recent poll. That we yeah. I, wow. I, <laughs> <laughs> looking at these results, I'm suddenly becoming an election denier, Pete. Um, well, let me just, <laughs> let me just. Explain what this is. So we put out a poll for one of our recent podcasts for the Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe. And the explanations that we put forward for where the Clara Splinter is in that episode, uh, we had three. So one, is it an elf in the living room that's basically encouraging Cyril to open his present early? Is Or is she a groundskeeper at the manor, making sure there's enough lawn for a plane to land? Or is she the manager of the auxiliary police maintaining all police boxes so that they look perfect and in. the results are in mm -hmm. and it is explanation three that the readers like that she is a manager for the auxiliary police maintaining all those police boxes so they look picture perfect and just like the 11th doctor's tardis in that okay can, can i take a moment to talk to my fellow spotify listeners uh and first of all i blame myself for not voting on this one um <laughs> But secondly, my elf in the living room, that was me. I thought that you, you need some sort of reason for them. For Cyril has to go early into that present. Otherwise, the Androzani trees are all going to be melted, melted down. Um, so Doesn't that makes the most now. sense. He's a kid. Okay. 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 Maybe not. But I just maybe I just like the idea of Jenna Coleman dresses as an elf. Um, we didn't okay, get to see go. it in last Christmas, but only 14%. Um, agreed with me on that. Mm. Um, uh, sadly for you, Pete, only only twenty nine percent agreed with your. I, th I think this was your better option, the groundskeeper option. The groundskeeper um, one, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just does. It, I don't think it cries out as much for explanation as the, right. as the police box thing. So. I, evidently, all of our fans are extreme nerds who are just like we we need to somehow explain how this police there was a police box in nineteen forty one. That's right, thirty eight. 30, 30, uh, I got that right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right yeah. because it's pre-war. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Why? Why is there another police box that looks exactly like our TARDIS? Like well, the, the, the most lights and everything. <laughs> it's, like, it's like got wired up, which is plot-wise the most inconsequential thing. But mm. Doctor Who nerd-wise, 
way far and away the most important thing exactly to sort out here so i, I get where you're coming from people. anyway thank you fellow nerds <laughs> for <laughs> voting for that and uh going for one of my explanations uh, so watch for those polls on spotify only available to our spotify listeners but you can be a spotify listener go ahead just download the app it's on all kinds of platforms yes um moving on we have uh okay guys this is the big announcement honestly this this podcast i mean this is huge okay (laughs) as of now as of when you are hearing this podcast or seeing it or seeing yes every single episode of pull to open is now on youtube crowd crowd goes goes wild wild. (laughs) (laughs) that is that's the first touchdown of the show we finally got them all up there. The last one we finally got up was a banger, appropriately enough. It mm-hmm. was Silence in the Library, Forest of the Dead. Oh, good one. So uh, as, as we're recording this, I'm, I'm, I'm still need to upload it, but it will be up by the time you hear this. And now you can binge listen or binge watch every single episode of Pull to Open Season 3, uh, which is basically the 2022 episodes. All of them are up there. And... Um, you can binge the entire the entire podcast if you want from the very and, beginning. And if people only want to binge the stuff starting with when I start moving, where where do they go to? <laughs> when you start, when you're actually you have actual video, <laughs> when I have actual video on my you side, you turn your yeah. camera on. That was well, <laughs> the thing is our first couple of episodes that we first did when we yeah. were kind of not knowing what we were doing. We actually had the camera on, so we've used that footage, and then hey. we had them off for a while. I started to put. It was like about. One quarter of the way through season two of the podcast, I believe it would be right around when my camera was on most of the time, consistently, and yours wasn't. Right, and then somewhere towards the end of that season, we got we got savvy with the with the YouTube. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're going to have to obviously find the the folks who do the animations for uh, the uh, for the missing episodes, <laughs> and I would love to see like a black and white animated version of me for these things, just not moving very much, like a like a Trenton animation. Um, yeah, love that, love that idea. Um, so yeah. listen, we we have great uh, commenters there. We've got a lot of people following us on YouTube. Things are going great. We're over five hundred. Uh, we're cutting close to six hundred subscribers. I've said we want to get to a thousand subscribers in twenty twenty three. I'm moving up the date. Okay, everybody, I'm Whoa. moving it up. I I think we got momentum there. I think we could get to a thousand by summer. So, folks, that's crazy. If you subscribe to the podcast on a podcast app, please fire up a web browser at some point. Go to YouTube. Uh, subscribe to us there, too. It's going to help the show. And tell your friends about it. Super easy. Super easy to find us there. Fun stuff's there. All of our plot summaries are there. Our plot summaries are cut for widescreen there. That's awesome. You, and you also get the same shorts you get on TikTok uh, with different commentary. And there's good commentary on YouTube, believe it or not. So <laughs> yeah, it that's how often has that sentence been uttered? Uh, but speaking <laughs> of TikTok, we did just do a TikTok live. We're now doing them every Sunday before the show. We had Pete had a fabulous system for who counts as a companion. We've talked about that in previous episodes. We'll get to it here. This is actually a perfect episode to talk about it because we, we ended up deciding, can, can we spoil this bit? Do it. The TikTok Live people knew this first, but we ended up deciding that Rory's dad is a companion. Counts yeah. as a companion. He's he's got the points. Yep. And uh that may be the most exciting thing about dinosaurs on a spaceship. Um yep. so thank you, TikTok <laughs> listeners, for inspiring us to do that. We've got a whole system to find out who counts as a companion. It's a point system. You will uh be able to filter out some people and get other people in and it's it is a bit of a work in progress so feel free to comment on it and uh we might even do a whole special episode on that at some point so watch for that 
but also on TikTok, we do have some great comments on our shorts, our short videos. And I would love to read one here. So our TikTok comment of the week. Uh, this is on our video about the Sonic uh, being weak to wood, which we had which some came out in the the Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe. Uh, oh yes, basically the it was the Sonic's uh, Waterloo as far as wood is concerned. And this comment comes from one Glenn Harkness, uh, possibly brother of Jack, mm. but <laughs> less than lesser known face of Bo. Yes, <laughs> it's the the elbow of Bo, I think. Um, <laughs> Glenn Harkness says, my headcanon is that the Sonic knows hey. it can disintegrate things and refuses to do that on anything that might be alive. Interesting take. I, yeah, I like it. I like it. But then the Sonic has been kind of, hasn't it been used on, on living things? Or no, it's it's only ever on technology, right? Yeah, I think I think the Sonic. I think there's a bit of a mystery here. I, I I don't mind the idea that the Sonic is more safety, but I do like the line. There's a line in a Tenant episode. Actually, it's Doomsday, if I believe, and the Daleks are talking about how they're simply not threatened by the Sonic. They're, that's just mm. an harmless device, and I do like that idea that the Sonic simply <laughs> doesn't do that. Right? Like it, it's not a harmful thing, uh, even though it has been shown to do so. So I don't think this person is necessarily wrong. There are times when the Sonic is wielded more like a weapon. Uh, but I prefer sort of the earlier view, the sort of earlier in the new view where he'd pull it out and people would make jokes about, are you going to like install some cabinets or something? Like, what are you doing? The, I was just going to mention that the classic John Hurt line from Day of the Doctor will we'll never, we'll never die. What are you going to do? <laughs> Assemble a cabinet at them. And I was just literally thinking as you were uh, outlining what the Daleks thought about the Sonic, you know, I'd love to hear that line spoken in the voice of a Dalek. What are you going to do? Assemble a cabinet at us? Um, well, you fulfilled your own wish there. I know. Yeah, I, I know. I'm, I'm no Nicholas Briggs, but uh, but yeah, maybe we can get some. Uh, we'll we'll add that in post. We'll add the, yeah. the Dalek voice. <laughs> Daleks do not assemble cabinets. Explain. Um, <laughs> Daleks do not use cabinets. Daleks do not go to IKEA on the weekends. <laughs> um. So yeah. So. That's it for the feedback. Well, we've got Twitter and Instagram. Pull to open 63. Still on Twitter and Instagram. Also still good, there. Yeah. Also a good place to find the bingo card. We're still getting videos up there and some original photos and plenty of discussion happening on Twitter. So join us. Yes, join us. Well, follow us. Follow the Cloister Bell podcast people as well. We just retweeted them. Uh, so that'll be easy to do. And yeah, is it uh, is it time to board our spaceship? I think it's time to board the spaceship because there's not much going on in Doctor <laughs> Who news today. Uh, yeah. And I'm, I'm yeah, just getting right to it. Let's pod. They're, they're shooting. They're shooting the new. They're shooting with shooty. Um, shooting with shooty. They're shooting with shooty. I don't really keep up with all that stuff. It kind of feels like you know, death by a thousand cuts if you read it beforehand. Yeah, it's very I'm, I'm muting and unfollowing like crazy on Twitter because there's too much stuff on on from the sets now, like the mm. location stuff, and everyone's snapping photos of who this or that, and I just. It's too much. I, I don't want to. I don't want to be that spoiled. Actually, I never want to be spoiled. I really try to avoid that. But yeah, I'm yeah. on Twitter too often now. So uh, yeah, it's interesting for, for, for this for this episode. I was looking back at everything that was written about uh, dinosaurs in a spaceship in uh, Doctor Who magazine, and other locations before it came on, and you practically had the whole story. You could piece it together, and you right. would probably be a lot more excited about it than what ended up on screen. Uh, and 
I think what we're going to discover here is that this was an episode that functions much better if you don't go into it with any expectations. So <laughs> I think that's really the best way to, to approach all of Who and all of New Who. I mean, it's well, going to be also... hard, hard for the 60th anniversary to top our expectations, I think, because we're so so excited about that. But with Shooty's first season, you know, let's just let it happen. Well, I'd also like people to manage their expectations for this coming TLDW. <laughs> nice. <laughs> if there is, uh, if history is any indication, I might need a little extra time, but I won't get it. Yes. Because this is a regular old episode. We know what we get with those regular old episodes. You do. You know what you get, and uh, you'll have to put up with it. So as regular listeners know, we do TLDW Too Long Didn't Watch or Too Long Doctor Who. Um, well, Too Long Don't Worry. It'll be fine. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, I like that one. I'll yeah, that too one long. Don't way. worry, Pete. It's too long. Don't worry if it's too long. Anyway, okay. we, we assign uh, one minute per New Who episode, 30 seconds per classic episode. This is definitely a New Who episode. There's none of the extended time versions that we had with those specials. Uh, this is just a flat-out minute. So one of us, in this case Pete, is going to summarize the entirety of the story of Dinosaurs in a Spaceship in slightly longer time I mean, we, we often say that it's in record time, but I think the record time for summarizing Dinosaurs as a Spaceship is whenever anyone says the title. Um, <laughs> so the Can I just say time, the title? Yeah, is that a title? Spaceship, done! No, uh, because that's actually not the full story. Uh, <laughs> something that Chris Chibnall said many times at the time, like Stephen Moffat pitched the title, you can't just do that. <laughs> you need more. So, uh, you just yes. wander around a ship and look at dinosaurs. <laughs> Uh, might, have been, might have been a better choice though but never mind we'll get to that we'll get to the commentary <laughs> soon wandering right. around a ship looking at dinosaurs was i believe the the title in france uh <laughs> it's much more existential um yeah okay so you have one minute uh you, you're feeling good you've closed all your tabs and, i'm feeling uh, good when it's going to be done i'm feeling <laughs> like let's get this over with that when it's like boom let's get to it let's go all right here we go with the official pull to open summary of dinosaurs on a spaceship in three two one go so the doctor's in the future it's the 24th century and there's this ship the size of canada that's going to hit the uh earth but the, so the space agency the indian space agency is going to destroy it with missiles the doctor has six hours to figure it out he recruits queen nefertiti from ancient uh egypt uh, this hunter guy from the turn of the center turn of the 20th century and oimi rorian rory's dad to go to the ship and figure out what's going on it turns out it's the silurian ark that they built with tons of dinosaurs on it but the silurians are all gone and they don't know why well they when they encounter these two robots and do seconds. some investigating they figure out why that these robots who are working for this black market guy uh called solomon actually killed all the silurians and by doing that, because the guy wanted the dinosaurs to essentially sell them, but he couldn't steer the ship after that. It just started going back to Earth on its default. So now he's changing his plan. He wants to take Queen Nefertiti, who's also rare, and use her and just who doesn't care about the ship hitting Earth and everyone dying. But the doctor redirects the missiles that the Indian Space Agency was going to do at Solomon's ship. It gets blown up. He returns everyone uh, to their times. Nefertiti stays with the hunter guy, and, and Rory's dad goes and travels. Nice. I, I nice. thought I was going to do it, and then I, you oh, know, you know seconds what? over. It's it's you would have if this had been a special, you would have gotten it. Um, you, yeah. that was one minute five seconds. I'm going to say, like, yeah. we, you know, it's been you you're used to having a little bit more time because that's what we've had recently. So I think that's that's fair enough. I think you did a good job. I tripped a little yeah. bit over the robots, which which are kind of irrelevant in some ways, but like. 
I yeah, stopped no. with robots and I, I kind of paused there. Like, should I talk more about the robots? It's like, no, not really. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> no, we're just talking about these robots. Very, very incidental. Uh, I, I, I did wonder whether mentioning that the spaceship is the size of Canada was necessary, but I wasn't going to. Well, you know, I want to get into to that. But okay. <laughs> one thing that I will note about my own TLDW, which I will indicate a bit of my commentary about it. Mm. I mentioned the dinosaurs once. Yes. And I didn't plan that. It's just that <laughs> I really didn't. I didn't think I'm only going to mention the dinosaurs and just summarize the plot. The reason I didn't mention the dinosaurs again is since they really just don't matter. Like they're just Aww. cargo and Aww. they're not really part of the story in any active way whatsoever. And this to me, like, and here's, you know, I'm kind of going to my verdict right at the bat, but it's, this is why this, a big reason anyway, why this episode really fails. Um, because it sort of promises this small screen Jurassic Park. And it isn't that. And it's not because mm-hmm. the special effects, which are fine. I mean, sure, they're CGI and you're not going to get, you know, Hollywood level quality. But the dinosaurs don't really play a part. You know, they have the Triceratops kind of. But... I feel like they're just totally irrelevant. Even like, you know, you see scenes like where the pterodactyls come and they, they're just like, oh no, we have to run from the pterodactyls now. And there's not even a moment where like anyone gets picked up or mm. gets maybe thrown to another location. When the raptors attack at the end, there's nothing interesting about it. They're literally just standing at the doorway, taking shot after shot after shot. There, There's no thought to a, a, an antagonist here or even a character they're they're just not characters and it's annoying and it, uh, you, you want something better you want a rousing dinosaur adventure and this isn't it yeah if it, certainly if you're coming to this looking for jurassic park uh you're, you're going to be disappointed um it's not even I, land of the lost yeah <laughs> uh, what it is a little bit is a, is a bbc show called primeval which is the um uh, the Mill, the special effects company that does special effects right. for Doctor Who, they also did the show called Primeval. And basically, it proved that they could do dinosaurs. Now, Primeval is not very popular. I believe it did get cancelled in the end. I'm not 100% sure on that. Don't quote me. But um, but basically, the Mill came to Moffat and said, hey, look, we can do dinosaurs now. You want to do a, a dinosaur version? And, and Moffat, if you go back to the old Doctor Who magazines, he describes himself so excited about this that he was running around uh, pretending to be an airplane, making airplane noises. Uh, <laughs> and that's sort of a running joke throughout the column, like uh, when he tells Chris Chibnall, Chibnall is running around making airplane noises. Now, uh, rule number one, Moffat lies. I don't think there were actually airplane noises involved, but it does suggest that this was sort of a sense of like, the, the kid in you comes out and you're like, we can put dinosaurs on a spaceship now. The mill explicitly wants to do this. Um you know, he was he was sad because he hadn't greenlit uh, Chibnall's most recent script. I think there was something along those lines. Apparently, mm. Chibnall invented some monster that that wasn't hadn't been seen up until that point. Um, not sure what the story is on that. Everyone's if anyone's ever gone back to check, but um, but yeah. So he 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 wanted to throw Chibs something. He threw in this. He pitched it to him as dinosaurs in a spaceship, and, and this and is Chibnall did the rest. What, what has Chibnall done in the series at this point? Has he? What else has he written? Uh, he did um, forty two. Forty two is kind which, of okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, he did the um, uh, the Silurian doubleheader. Um, oh, that's right, Hungry Earth and Cold Blood. Okay, so yes. that that gives you the tie in to a little bit of like he's uh, not really not really a tie in to that episode, but I know one of the actors comes back. 
Yes. And I guess you could say Chibnall's the Silurian guy at this point. Um, he, he kind of is. And he made, he, like he, he named a Silurian after Malcolm Hulk in, uh, in that, in that double header. And here he names a Silurian after Barry Letts, like the one Silurian yeah. you see on screen is, is an homage to Barry Letts. So he's like blade hall or something. Yeah. Blaiteth, I, I, but yes, it's like it's it's Chibnall being like an uber nerd Doctor Who fan, remembering that that the Silurians had dinosaurs in several right. classic series episodes, um, and well, one. so that's the connection he's thinking of. <laughs> one, okay, <laughs> um, but that's the connection he's thinking of. Like he's he's that's his starting point. Um, I think Moffat also suggested that the dinosaurs in a spaceship would be heading for Earth. Um, right. And uh, I don't know if there's like an explicit Adric reference here to the spaceship that killed the dinosaurs, but. Well, it's, um, it's, it's kind of an amusing flip if yes. you think about it for fans, because there you have a human spaceship that is threatening and does explode and kill all the dinosaurs. And here mm-hmm. there's a dinosaur spaceship heading to earth, threatening to kill all the humans. Right. So, right. um, of course it doesn't happen. Although I got to say the, um, a solution, I guess that the Indian space agency decides to do, which is to blow it up with some missiles is not going to work. Right. I mean, this is mm-hmm. often documented. I'm surprised they sort of make this mistake in that you destroy so, uh, an asteroid heading for earth like yep. all that stuff like all the you, you can't destroy matter i mean it's all the same matter is still heading for earth whether it's one object or not so you know maybe it'll burn up more in the atmosphere but if it's the size of canada you're basically incinerating yep. the atmosphere basically uh, and uh, if you if you've read uh, seven eaves by neil stevenson uh which you really should if you haven't it's it's all about the moon disintegrating and mm. how that's uh affects the earth uh, now uh, this would do something along the same lines. It might well eradicate the whole, the whole of humanity. So yeah, it is. It is a bit weird. First of all, it's a little bit weird that it's the Indian Space Agency that we're still yeah. sort of doing this chauvinistic, nationalistic thing in the twenty fourth century. You that know? was a weird choice. I don't even know hmm. why they did that. I, I guess it's representation, it is. Uh, which is fine. But it is hmm. like, well, this doesn't really match with um, the vision of Doctor Who as we we go out into the cosmos as a united Earth yeah. and we, we, with diverse crews along the lines of what we just saw in the waters of Mars or the sanctuary base that we see um, later. And I, I, I had in this a little bit by thinking, well, it's, it's the Indian outpost or Indian division of hmm. an, an, like a, a more general space agency. And I think maybe it's just where they have the missiles or it's the, the part of the earth that's closest, the closest space agency base to the ship when it's about to hit. Cause they, they say they only have six hours. Right. So that's plausible, right. but you'd think there would be some discussion with the rest of earth. What is the rest yeah. of earth doing here? Is, 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 has India just entirely taken over the air defense? And it is very interesting. And here's another fascinating reason for the randomizer to have brought us here. And I'm not going to say I'm scared of the randomizer. Cause that's a bingo card. Uh, I'm not going to give you that square so easily. I'm actually just in awe of the randomizer mm. um, because we card. had just yesterday, <laughs> Chris gets we emotional had, about the about the randomizer. Just yesterday, we had uh, NORAD was activated by right. Prime Minister Trudeau um, to shoot down an object that we still don't know what it was that was coming into Canadian airspace, um, mm-hmm. and it was not, you know, well, first of all, uh, the fact that the random mention of Canada 
a brilliant segue into this. Um, but it, it was Pretty not. Coolie. It yeah, it was it it was an instruction for for many people that NORAD is a thing, and the Canadian Prime Minister could actually order, uh, you know, American jets to scramble, um, and and vice versa, right? Oh, well, you better start scrambling, there, eh? Oh, buddy. <laughs> wow, big object over your house. What's that about? It's like Justin Trudeau's in the room. It's amazing. It's... See, I'm entitled to do that, guys, because I'm <laughs> yes. half Canadian, so it's okay. Hashtag representation. Um, yeah. It's funny that Canada gets represented as the size of something because yes. <laughs> it's a big thing. Which, by the way, that no one told the special effects people this thing was supposed to be the size of Canada because it's clearly not in every single exterior shot. Um, and it's overkill. You don't have to have a, like. I mean, I wish Doctor Who. Like, honestly, this is a, a, an episode like this is an opportunity for education. Right? That's original mandate. There's real science to do with dinosaurs, and there's real science to do with space and you don't need something yes something the size of canada is going to destroy the earth but really something the size of manhattan will also destroy the earth and well, if you, well, all his, you need to do, do is make it city-sized and you've got a world destroying problem on your hands and his, still plenty of room for the dinosaurs to run around here's a question for you pete uh how do you know they were wrong how do you know canada isn't smaller in the future Oh, in the 24th century, we do know with the beasts below, good. right? Scotland left Starship UK. Maybe uh, you know uh, it would make the, sense too, because what we're going to have with a warming planet, yeah. we're going to have the water wars. Yeah, they should do that in like the 22nd century, and Canada has one fifth of the world's fresh fresh water. Right. So and, everyone next does a water grab, and now it's just a couple of guys in Mississauga. <laughs> well also you, you you know you've got the first nations you've got uh, the quebec quebecois am i pronouncing that correctly you know you there, are, there are many splinter groups within canada that may just bring it down mm-hmm. to a very very small you know maybe it's yeah. just Vancouver. maybe this maybe provides the other explanation for the indian space agency there's a, the mm. 24th century is strangely factionalized it's a, mm-hmm. maybe it's a weird aberration in the future maybe they mm-hmm. reunite or something I don't mind that. Yeah, Maybe it is I funny. Can. I mean, when when we went to the tenth planet, you know, that was very much the UN taking space based decisions for everyone when a, another right. planet's approaching, and that was set in 1986. You know, so it's mm-hmm. it, it is very interesting to contrast that, uh, which I believe did have an Indian representative at that at that UN scene in the tenth planet. Um, yeah, yeah so you contrast that with dinosaurs in a spaceship, and you get a very sad story of how much more nationalistic we've become in our future outlook since mm. uh, 66 yeah, yeah yeah absolutely um anyway not to dwell on canada too much because <laughs> we've yeah, got a lot to talk about here but we do okay so this one starts off with the doctor kind of assembling the gang yes you know this is the first time we kind of see a gang and this i think is trying to consciously or unconsciously foreshadow the Porternaster gang later Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that's just that I, I maybe that is played off this um i don't Could know which be. came first but it's a weird choice um i kind of like it like just to do something different why not mm. so he it's a weird cast of characters he decides to recruit which seems to be just whoever he's adventuring with lately so mm. queen nefertiti because they sort of open that's actually the kind of the cold open isn't it right where yes. he's just kind of like she's trying to make out with him and wants mm-hmm. to travel with him so he's like okay why not and then there's this rando essentially kind of an Ad- alan quartermain stand-in yeah uh his name is john riddell and so it gets him that's that's really random and then Very. he gets amy and rory and so he's like okay here's my crack team my gang 
Um, and there's the funny joke of accidentally getting Brian with by materializing around them, and he whips around like thinking he's like some <laughs> some foreign agent or alien agent that's transmitted into the TARDIS. Um, so yeah, at least it leads to some amusing stuff. And again, like I say, you you could say why, but I mm-hmm. I'm the guy who would say why not? Sure, let's get this crazy cast of characters and see what happens. And it's it's not all it's not all bad. It's actually like some interesting fun stuff that happens. All right, so should we take them one by one? Because because I, I got some stuff to say up in this joint about Nefertiti. Uh, <laughs> Are we in the, the corner? Yes, we're in the corner. All right, we're in the corner for the first time. It's it's actually a pretty bare corner because we know so little about Nefertiti. Um, but here's what's super exciting. And I did not know this until I started to dig into it. So Chibnall included Nefertiti because he'd read that we don't have any evidence for her existence, you know, mm-hmm. after okay. a certain point, like she just appears to stop cold. So he's like, great. You know, I can sort of pluck her out of the time stream. Now, mm. the very same year this aired, 2012, we found more evidence for Nefertiti after that date. Well, and we found mm. it in the most Doctor Who location you can possibly imagine. Mars. A limestone <laughs> quarry. <laughs> <laughs> that they used for Mars once. Uh, yes. <laughs> An Egyptian limestone quarry. They found some more um, evidence for her existence. It's entirely possible, uh, and they think now more possible, because of this discovery, that she ruled on uh, as queen, as pharaoh, in her own right afterwards. Interesting. And okay. Actually, did some pretty cool stuff. She changed the entire religion of Egypt, which I believe her husband had tried to turn Egypt into a sun god worshipping okay. country. He was into Ra. Uh, he was into Ra. Like one aspect of Ra, I think it was Aten. Uh, um, Anyway, I don't quite, I get very bad on on names of uh, Egyptian pharaohs and stuff like that. Uh, so Sutek, gonna, He's <laughs> Sutek, cool. I can say that. I can and I can say Nefertiti, and I can say Tutankhamun, who was the the uh, the kid who followed on after the pharaoh that was probably mm. Nefertiti. Um, now there was there was precedent for a woman ruling solo as pharaoh, and she did the predecessor did what we think Nefertiti did, which is give herself a new male name. Oh wow! I, I, that wouldn't have happened to be Aramem, was it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't think uh, she ever gets a chance to be Pharaoh, unfortunately. <laughs> no. I mean, she is briefly. Anyway, little so, fun times and big finish for Aramem. If you ever want to check it out, I will definitely do that. But yeah, it's it's interesting because like history is time travel. History is alive, and it is more alive even than than Doctor Who can mm. make it. You know, uh, well, maybe she looks so she, uh, spoiler alert. I mean, obviously, yeah. dumb to even say that sometimes in this podcast, but she does end up with Riddell at the end. Yes. And on or about like 1900 or so. And uh, the implication being that she, you know, that's where she lives out the rest of her life uh, as short or as long as it may be. Yes. And so I guess now we have to figure out some headcanon way for to get her back. <laughs> we got to do a sequel essentially to dinosaurs on a spaceship well get those two actors back chibnall did originally intend that riddell was that the doctor was picking him up because riddell was about to die right i read about this yeah, yeah that it was his last night on earth whether or not he knew it 
And that sort of explains why the doctor's coming to pick him up. Seems like a pretty important point. Um, mm. But anyway, we'll get to that. We'll get to Rudell. I want to stick with Nefertiti for a second. Um, so, yeah, so we don't know. So it, it did read as a little weird to me that Amy was sort of fangirling over her because, like, you know, the, the very, very few things we actually know for sure about Nefertiti. One of them is that she had six daughters, mm. um, weirdly. And one of them. We know became, she's famous. <laughs> yeah, she's famous for being hey, famous. I've heard of you. The reason Nefertiti is so famous is because the bust of Nefertiti, which yes. was uncovered by Germans in 1910, 1911, thereabouts. And this is super topical because they basically stole it. Or mm. they they shipped it oh, out of the country, told the Egyptian customs officials. Them, right? Yes. Well, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll just lie to the locals and say this. Oh, no, it's just a bit of granite. You don't need to look at it. Mm. They ship it back to Berlin. It becomes a sensation. Mm. That And the bust of Nefertiti, which, by the way, was the influence for the Bride of Frankenstein's hairstyle. No kidding. Oh. Um, Didn't know because that. Because it was just became so iconic when it was yeah, yeah. on display in Berlin. And there's the Hitler connection. Uh, because mm. Hitler actually, in a way, I'm never going to say this on the podcast ever again. <laughs> you do not, under any circumstances, got a hand it to him. But he did want to return it to Egypt to carry oh. favor with them. Oh, uh, and okay. Egypt was sort of fighting that battle today. So there's your Hitler connection. Now, how about the Doctor Who connection? Did you did you remember when we might have seen her in a... I'll give you a clue. It's a Capaldi episode. Yeah, I think it is a Capaldi episode. Um, oh, God. What? what was it, it wasn't Sleep No More. No. Um, no. Was it is the pyramid at the end of the world? Because there's pyramids mm, in that. No, but it is a Bill episode. Uh, and we've been there. Uh, I'm, I'm doing white. it right now. I'm doing the title smile? right now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it is smile. Oh, yes. Yes. It, it, it's one of the things that's in the ship. They, they're yep. shipping all this stuff because it's implied that this is the last humans and they're fleeing of this earth that's getting destroyed and they brought all the stuff from civilization. And that's one of the first things they brought, I guess. That's right. And I'm Crazy. hitting, I'm hitting the bingo button that we don't yet have. <laughs> we can put that in and post, but that's a Nefertiti bingo. She's in smile. She's in dinosaurs in a spaceship. So far as we know, that is a Nefertiti bingo for Dr. Who. Uh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our first full queen. <laughs> <laughs> our first Nefertiti bingo card. Uh, yes. I don't know if it's our, um, fills in the Egyptian queen pharaoh bingo card was it in cleopatra in some episode somewhere or did you just mention i yes well certainly she's mentioned as like a conquest of the doctors right uh doesn't he call her cleo at some point um right yes yeah uh, there's, there's a certain mention of that i feel like there's, a, there's like a, a quick cut scene somewhere in series mm-hmm. five where she's kind of there or there's like an angle. yeah i don't know and um, it's certainly not a queen bingo and queen elizabeth ii wherever she is now may she rest in peace uh is probably livid that we've that nefertiti beat her to the <laughs> bingo. i'm sure sure that's what she's most concerned about because we haven't been to voyage of the dam so we haven't seen you know the qe2 impersonator's actual appearance um uh, yeah but yeah so so that's nefertiti i kind of like that she's a badass but as you say it is a bit undercut by the fact that she fancies riddle yeah, is, which is, yeah. it's a little bit, you know, I get the heart wants what the heart wants. I just don't. Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, you kind of get that too. Like he's sort of this manly man. 
uh, or fancies himself that way. I mean, the thing is, he's like, what I don't like, and we're, we can transition a bit to Riddell, hmm. um, who I think is is a fun. He's exactly the guy you want on this adventure, which is weird because the Doctor didn't know there were dinosaurs in the ship. <laughs> like, I, I he's totally the guy you would recruit if you knew. So yeah. it's a funny coincidence. Um, but he, if you compare him, like I like I think there's a natural comparison to Muldoon in the original Jurassic Park, right? Who is the big game hunter mm-hmm. who is, and I, Muldoon, I mean, I got to say, he's just more thoughtful and, and you kind of want that. I, I get that. It's okay to have, he's just this chest thumping masculinity guy. Fair enough. Um, and, and sort of leaning into that, but you also want the other side too. You want to see a little bit of, you know, the, the competency, like why this person has their job. I guess there's some of that towards the end, but hmm. the idea that there should be more thoughtfulness there. There should he should have had more of a moment, I think, with Nefertiti that wasn't just comic relief mm-hmm. to really sell that ending. Because yes. otherwise it's just kind of like, oh, okay, I guess, you know, opposites attract or something. But well, that's it definitely, it. there's nothing yeah. more to it. <laughs> it definitely gives you the sense that uh you know, this is this is definitely we're seeing the evolution of Chris Chibnall here, right? Uh, he he would not do that today. So once mm. again, Chibnall versus Chibnall, um, you know that it just wouldn't happen. Also, we should mention that he was supposed to be um, a cowboy character. Uh, that oh was yeah, the original He's, idea. Be like American Charles right? Buffalo Jones, a frontiersman. Mm. 1844 to 1919. And that would have been a real historical figure. Yeah. And he helped save the bison. So he wasn't a a game hunter. He was a game saver. Um, But of course, Town Called Mercy came next. So Moffat said, no, you know, too many cowboys, basically. Well, Um, I'm also like, that's a little on the, that's a little over the head. I I prefer like hmm. having some, like, you know, it's like, that's still too pure. That's a little on the nose for Doctor Who. Like this person, oh, it's a really nice person from history. It's like, well, I don't mind pulling out people who have different historical contexts hmm. and challenging someone to sort of not necessarily overlook um, what we might see as sort of archaic negative qualities and just sort of like correcting for that. Like, okay, hmm. this guy's, yes, he's a he's kind of a, 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 a bit of a sexist, certainly, but it's like, <laughs> well, he's from 1900. I mean, what do you expect? How, you get right. anyone from that era, uh, you're going to have obviously different attitudes. Um, so I, I, I like that choice, uh, as opposed to just getting someone who we automatically would root for just because of, it happens to align with some, uh, mm. some politics that, uh, is more right. popular today. But you, you, you do sort of want to see his, his conversion, right? Like that Amy is literally talking gender politics to him. Like she has yeah. that great killer line about, you know, that's, that's what he needs, uh, or what he's avoiding, or I forget how she puts it. She puts it much better than I do. Um, she said something at one point where she's like, um, I, I, I'm worth at least two men or something like that. Yes. I, that's kind of it. And Yeah, but you uh, can come along if you like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, he kind of admires the the moxie, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I, I remember, I, right? I got to say, I was watching this with Jack and Grace, as I always do, mm-hmm. and, and Jack was kind of rolling his eyes there. Okay. Yeah, I, I get it, Amy. Like, mm. you know, I do feel like yeah, it's. It, I, I think it was just too much because that that they lean into that as sort of comic relief, and some point they're kind of I don't know if they're really making a point, but it's just that tension, that sexist tension, is it's all style, no substance, and then by the end, you're just kind of tired of it. 
Well, isn't it interesting that we've come from the Doctor and the Widow and the Wardrobe, which I mentioned in that, like, Madge is a great character, but it is a, sort of a little condescending towards, you know, how great mum is and how important yeah. mum is. And the angel in the house. We talked about that Victorian notion. Uh, then we get Wars of Mars with, with a female commander who's like, it's just not even mentioned. It's just that she happens to be a woman, right? It's mm-hmm. Lindsay Duncan. She's just a great, competent leader nothing more needs to be said about it. And now we've gone sort of back <laughs> while right. going forward, weirdly in time, chronologically to this other sort of slightly condescending thing about, you know, how, how great Amy is and Amy is the, the queen and, you know, everyone connected with Amy as a pond, you know, all, all of that stuff, which again, teeny bit condescending mm. um, yeah. towards it. I mean, Karen Gillan is just great. You know, whenever Amy's on yeah. screen, she's just great. You don't need to say it necessarily exactly. as much as they do right yeah exactly don't yeah. don't need to don't preach so <laughs> i think you... one of one of the reasons yeah a show don't tell and and it is kind of telling right that the chibnall like we're seeing some early warning signs i think of chibnall's run here um and by the way it is very interesting in revolution of the daleks you mentioned the the fact that the datelines came up right which is a very yeah, chibnall yeah. era thing and they come up here as well with with Nefertiti and Riddell. Oh, that's um, right. They yeah. were a little more subtle. They weren't like right, right in your mm-hmm. face. Chibnall got a little bolder with that. Yeah, later he on. certainly yeah. did. But also, there's the warning sign of like he he ditched the whole thing of Riddell dying the next day. Mm-hmm. You know, which seems like a super important plot point that would make you more sympathetic to him. And yeah. he didn't insert a line of Riddell sort of having some redemption. Right, just something, just one line that would make us feel more comfortable with, you know, the badass Nefertiti going off with the sexist dude at the end. Yeah, and it, I guess if excising the line at least gets you to believe they live for a while, right? Because if they mm. left that line in, you would be thinking like, "Wow, does Nefertiti like only have a day to live now?" <laughs> like, yeah. and then she goes back, and her her reward is that she gets to be with this guy one night and then dies. Yeah, um, I so mean, I, I guess you could sort of, you know, solve that with like she's she's holding a space phone that the doctor's given her, and like we see her them texting or talking in the tent. You know, it's yeah, you could easily add a minute there. Yeah, and yeah. they they definitely like they took out the wrong stuff because uh, yeah. and um, we'll come back to Brian in a bit, yeah. but I will say one of the things they should have taken out or redone entirely are those robots. I found yes. the robots, Solomon's robots, to be entirely annoying and just totally wrong. Mm. Um, I get that you, obviously, they're comic relief. They're played in there, you know, and they're definitely appealing to kids. I mean, you're going to expect some younger kids tuning into something called Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. Yeah. But again, you said condescending. That, that's the word that's popping into my head, too. Like, okay, totally. here's a silly robot. Um, for kids and it's not even doesn't even have that sort of charming 80s quality that gadget has because gadget's a silly w- robot waters of mars but <laughs> he doesn't really speak he doesn't really have you know he's just kind of fun looking and, and helps out and has his catchphrase whereas these guys are are the script is trying to be funny with yeah. them it's not really and i can so- forgive that the thing i can't forgive is that there is a very dark turn midway through this mm. episode where it's revealed that these robots murdered the Silurians. I mean, it's Solomon directing them. So it's really Solomon mm-hmm. that we're supposed to hate, but the robots spaced everybody and worked with Solomon to do that. And 
I, that's not funny in any way, right? Like that, like if you, you're, we're made to think about that and we know Silurians are real people. And even though we don't, we actually do see one, we see one on screen. So, um, I, I just thought that if you were going to do that twist, I would much rather see like merciless Maximilian in the black hole type robots mm. that are just cold and efficient. Instead, I, I can't even believe these robots credibly did anything um certainly not anything that dark so the robots were for me the the most disappointing thing the first time out and and i think for a slightly different reason for you and this is another connection to the doctor the widow and the wardrobe the robots were paid played by famous british comedians Mm. uh david mitchell and robert webb if you've ever seen the show peep show and if you haven't, go watch nope. it. It's brilliant, brilliant comedy. And there's like seven or eight seasons. It was very innovative. It's by the guy who went on to do Succession on HBO. Oh, okay. Yeah. This was uh, his first outing, which is one of the reasons why Succession is actually low-key at comedy. Um, and a very dark one, kind of like Peep Show is. Its innovation was POV scenes. So everything you're seeing in the show is through the eyes of one of the characters. Right? So, so Mitchell and Webb became very famous faces they they play flatmates in this in this series basically uh going through various trials and tribulations and girlfriends etc um but you see them looking at it like you know so they became super famous uh, very well-known comedians in britain david mitchell is very funny so sort of got that sort of cranky young british guy thing going on which is kind of a trope um but so knowing they were going to be in this like I, I didn't with Doctor with the Wardrobe, I didn't know Bill Bailey was going to show up. He was sort of a nice surprise. Like you know, we talked about how that wasted comedians. This wastes right. the hell out of Mitchell and Webb. They are not worthy of this. You know, think of a you know great set of American comedians of the of the twenties. Say this well, was how about John, what Canadian comedians? Canadian comedians. Wayne that would and work. <laughs> sure, <laughs> that would work. I think the the equivalent might be closer to something like if John Stewart and Stephen Colbert were playing right. these robots you would be like why what a waste and how the hell do you dare give them lines like you know i i think i'm scared a little bit of oil came out right yeah uh, yeah dumb just, just dumb lines you know, so i was so furious at this episode the first time around and because it actually didn't bother me that much the second time because i was so prepared for that i actually looked on this episode i think way more positively than you did overall because I would, I didn't want my Mitchell and Webb fandom to be hacked out once more, and and like they they really say so little, you can kind of ignore that they're even in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I would almost love yeah. to see kind of like an Alan Smithy kind of thing going on here, where we just dub over their voices with some other actors to forget it's them. Yeah, um, I forget. I think the only thing they do, I mean, they shoot. Do they shoot the Triceratops, or is that Solomon himself? Okay, so the Triceratops, which is like. You know, it really gets you to again. Solomon's the one directing everything, um, so you you're made to hate him. But it is, yeah. But why? Um, why yeah. do you need to shoot the Triceratops? This is this is Chibnall. Uh, something yeah. else that I think Chibnall does is he overcompensates, right? Uh, for like, if he perceives that his script is too happy, like he'll overcompensate with a scene like this where he's basically shooting the dog, mm-hmm. and that's his own yeah. script writing rule. Don't freaking shoot the dog especially not in like a children's uh you know story i would have been devastated unless, unless that's the point right like yeah. if you're doing old yeller do old yeller yeah. but like this is an old yeller <laughs> it's yeah. not even freaking close no yeah no um so so that's annoying it was annoying that tricy had to die 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, the 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 sort of the writing it's it's beneath it's beneath Chibnall, it's beneath what we know he can do. The the the, the fact that there's a penis joke, you know, mm. with the guns, with Riddell cocking his gun. There's a balls joke. With the triceratops yeah, sniffing, it's so juvenile. It's like he's yeah. really consciously aiming for like the elementary school level here, and has really, honestly, misguided thoughts on what mm. he needs to include to do that. And you know, I've said before, Chibnall strikes me like he treats Doctor Who as a buffet, and I, I meant that generally in terms of his how he structured his whole era. But I think in this particular episode, it's it's kind of an apt. Uh, discussion too. I mean, you think he, like he plucks the the beach set from Flesh and Stone, <laughs> Time of Angels, and mm. uh, you know Doomsday. Like he throws that in. Right. He's got Battle dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. We're gonna have some future stuff. You know, uh, let's have a bad dude and some dinosaurs. Right? Like, like let's, just, <laughs> let's just throw all this stuff in. Some story will result, and we'll just kind of and some robots. Yeah, let's do that too. Like, let's just. I don't. I don't know when to stop. Like, <laughs> exactly. Well, He's downloading comics on the future. Yeah, um, yes, and we should we should talk about Solomon because yeah. when when I started watching this, I honestly I I had blanked so many of the details that I was had this wonderful thing of being fresh again. I was like, and they're, they're sort of playing it like Solomon is some old adversary of the Doctor's, right? Because he's like Doctor, they say. Oh, finally, you know, bring him to me. And it's a misdirect because he actually just needs a doctor. A doctor, yeah. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. Um, so that I was like, oh, I don't remember that. But it's all sort of playing into this season-long notion that the doctor has had grown too big and he's trying to hide himself. Right. Right. He'd erased his own history from time, and so no one really knows who he is. And if you if you try to investigate, you come up, you know snake eyes it's all blanks right um but solomon so, like it uh, was interesting to come back and see david bradley and, oh god you know I we love david bradley. to talk about the headcanon of how uh, <laughs> he you know solomon looks like the first doctor mm. mid-regeneration <laughs> oh nice yeah well we've got to get into that but yeah. um it's it's interesting to come back and see him doing this evil twist and it really working like he's really great as mm. this bad guy, because you really believe it. Mm. And um, it really, I, that's why it was such a great choice for honestly, William Hartnell and the, and the first doctor. Cause yeah. I think that's why he's so interesting. Like there is an edge and everyone, you know, knows William Hartnell was at an edge, a bit of an edge to him, certainly in, in mm. real life. And um, it really gave a lot of weight to that performance. Like, and, and to see him sort of lean into that and like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to play the edge. Yeah. And now I'm like, uh, evil tyrant guy um yeah it really works again i don't think they necessarily had to um have him shoot the triceratops and like have these weird tonal choices but having a, a real bad guy that really works yeah. um and, what and does, leather. Uh, he was very yeah. excited apparently uh, david bradley was about wearing this leather in this scene uh, yeah but, but yeah. i want to hear about your headcanon i don't know if you want to do it here <laughs> or if you want to throw it out when we get to twice upon a time <laughs> oh yeah Hi. i don't know i don't know i mean it's sort of it's interesting isn't it because we uh sort of had a reference in waters of mars to fires of pompeii which obviously you know now mm. retroactively has the the peter capaldi thing you know kind of built in like that's why he chose that face but like there's no way you can sort of have it be so timey wimey that the doctor is retroactively choosing 
Solomon's face. <laughs> as it's yeah, I don't think no, I don't think we need to we're going to say that, but maybe maybe there's more to Solomon maybe. than is really shown here because we've we've obviously obviously seen a lot of sort of memory wiping technology. I was going to say is there a pocket to, watch? Is there a pocket watch, pocket watch or pocket. the division? You know, mm. with their erasures. And maybe this is potentially a dark splinter of the doctor, not the yes. doctor, but something like the watcher gone awry or the, the Valyard. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I, I I like that headcanon because I was just gonna get into this as we were talking about Solomon. The the climax at the end where the doctor just kind of kills him. Mm. Um that's very like that's a weird tasting ending, I have to say. Um, that the doctor redirects the missiles to destroy Solomon's ship. And you could argue it's a trolley problem, but yeah. it's not played that way. You know, he's he's almost delighting in it that he's mm. he's figured this out. I'm saving the ship and I'm destroying you. Um, which is very undoctor-like. But if he's actually doing more than just saving everybody and you know, destroying this splinter version of himself, mm -hmm. that provides a little more explanation and even weight to it. I think what we're what we may be looking at here is uh, several layers of Chibnall weirdness. Mm. Uh, but you've got to say that the original layer is the fact that Nefertiti was originally supposed to die. Mm. Uh, good, good thing she didn't. Now, given the extra historical evidence uh, that we got in 2012, but uh, she was supposed to sacrifice herself to uh to i guess blow up solomon's ship or whatever you know right. um but that you know obviously that was a script change that came at some part of the process and i don't think Chibnall fully thought it through uh that this version of the script that basically he has the, the doctor becoming a stone cold killer um yeah. it is nice though to see this right after waters of mars where he was prepared to like he just he wanted to make things better, even if it involved killing people. Like he was almost going a bit peacemakerish uh, with the whole Time Lord Victorious thing. Like you know, he's going a little bit twisted. So it's kind of nice to see that that's still maybe a part of his personality, even if it did just sort of yeah. result from too many tribunal drafts or too few. <laughs> yeah, I gotta say, I, it's just it's so unusual. Like you, you want to see him at least have some anguish over it or have some conflict about it. Like mm. you, you want that. Like I prefer the doctor where he's the ten remember tenant would do this a lot of like, I've got to give them a chance, you know, mm. even though the Suntarans are wrong and they're going to kill everybody. I've got to at least ask them nicely to stop, give them a chance yeah. to stop. And I'm not just going to blow them up, which I think is, it's almost like that's his, that's his code. And again, he's violated the code. I mean, he didn't really have the code until the new series, but retroactively, yeah. I think it works. Um, and this, I mean, you say it's arguably, a trolley problem. I mean, it's it not, is kind of a trolley problem. Kind of. Kind anyway, of. Kind of. Because, okay, so Solomon's going to die either way. Because right? of the... If, if he stays in the ship, the missiles will, will kill Solomon. Right? So he's Yeah, actually, but he could leave the ship and then survive. It's just everyone on the Ark would die. So in yes. other words, like the missiles have to hit something, yes. And that's 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 why it's a trolley problem. I mean, presumably they can't just switch them off or, you know, jam their guidance or whatever. Right. But a trolley problem is usually: are you going to kill five innocent people or are you going to kill one innocent person? This is as if you know one one of the people had unhooked himself from the five 
the the you know the the streetcar line where the, the trolley's heading with fine people, and he's like, "I'm going to leave you all to die, haha!" And he goes and straps himself to the other line, right? So he's no longer really innocent. Yeah, it's it's a too fair. I mean, but it is like then now you get you have to move the the thing that's yes. going to kill the trolley to kill that other guy. Yeah. And so, yeah, it is the doctor dispensing instant justice, frontier justice. Yeah, but he's also got act. a ticking clock. To be fair. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, if the missile's got to hit something, hmm. uh, you know, he made the right call, and he, I, I feel like he just does not show quite enough remorse or conflict there. Like he's mm. just kind of like, whatever. You were evil. Uh, boom, great. Yeah, rah, rah, we win. Where it's like, you kind of want to see the good doctor come out and sort of like, sorry, Solomon, but it's mm. got to happen this way. Well, and again, then, uh, this is, you know, and, and this is sort of a theme throughout the episode that again, as with the doctor and the widow and the wardrobe, two episodes earlier, we're looking at a doctor who's basically without human companions. Like Amy, Amy and Rory are not traveling in the time right. time at this point. They are, yeah. they've settled down. Yeah. Um, and that, that was the whole point of season seven. A was, what happened? Moffat wanted to see what happens after, right? So they're not really compared. So he's still in this phase of like going a little loopy. It's kind of why he's assembled the time team, like the gang, the mm-hmm. the proto fam. That kind of makes sense. <laughs> um, but yeah, it also makes sense that he's a little bit colder about his yeah. decisions, right? Yeah, that's fair. You know, remember, he's he's spent two hundred years out there on his own. Uh, you know, we recently had the God complex, you know, I think this kind of works. Cause then you kind of like look at how he behaves in a town called mercy, which is right after this. And there's definitely more of, and I think it's played real much better in terms of like mm. the conflict within him, but there's darker sort of more adult themes in that about killing. Um, I think this works. It might've been a deliberate choice to have him go mm. this way in that they, maybe they thought about this Moffat of, He's going to be a little loopier, a little darker, a little bit more edge to him. Um, yeah, I but think in that context, it's okay. It's it makes him more of a three dimensional character thing, especially when you contrast it with the like he is extra childlike. No one is more excited about discovering dinosaurs in a spaceship than the Doctor is. Yeah, um, and also the line that really sticks with me is where you know uh, Rory's dad. They're on the beach. Rory's dad wants to get Rory uh, the trowel and put mm-hmm. him on, put it on his Christmas list. The trowel that he's taking <laughs> to the beach to discover. And Rory's like, Dad, I'm 31. I don't have a Christmas list. And the doctor shouts from far off, I do! And I just, I'd <laughs> forgotten about that. That is perfection. That is such perfection that the doctor would have a Christmas list. Yeah. Um, well, this is why my kids uh, both like the episode. I got to say, and even I think Jack even said at one point after we just finished watching, they're like, "That was okay," but Matt Smith is the goat yep. because he's so funny. Like his comedic presence, again, full on here, just his manic stuff where he's like, "I never had a gang before," and whipping around and aiming like a sonic screwdriver at uh, at Brian and. Uh, and when he when he kisses Rory full on the mouth, yes. which was apparently an improv, an yep. a, a improv improvised scene. Matt Smith just did that himself because he was just so into his character and so into the moment. Uh, I love that. I love I love that performance. I love that Matt Smith's instincts at this point. I mean, they're they're good and they're excellent mm-hmm. at this point. Like this is his last season. He knows his character. He knows the energy. Um, 
and he just does it and it's it so works he's just a bonkers doctor doing stuff and loving and life. did you did you notice by the way the part where he said he's a sagittarius probably yes uh yes, you know you know the significance of that i i only know that i hate astrology but i only know this because my birthday is november 22nd doctor who's no birthday is november 23rd um That's, yeah I, I know that i'm right on the cusp i'm right at the end of being a scorpio and so Sagittarius is next. So I often tell people and they ask, what's I know, man? I'm, I'm a Scorpius. So I, I know from Sagittarius, Sagittarii, um, but the <laughs> fact that the Doctor is probably one, just a nice reference to the show itself. Well, it's funny. It's, I wonder who put that in, whether it was Moffat or Chibnall. Mm. I'll give mm. Chibnall the credit, but it's like, that's definitely such a super fan thing to throw in. Uh, <laughs> and I think it, maybe they were just waiting. If it's Moffat, he was waiting for some line of how mm. observant the doctor is or some quality of a Sagittarius. <laughs> Just boom. Oh yeah, I've been meaning to slip in the Sagittarius line. Get, get that in there. Do it. Yeah, because we are now in the same season as Day of the Doctor, right? And the, with all yeah. the references to November 23rd and the time that the first episode screened and all of that. Um, so, so I, I want to like talk that. about Brian at some point, but yes, before we do, do that, that. Mm-hmm. before we do Brian, I got to go to Pete's continuity nerdy corner <laughs> and let's talk about the Silurians for a moment. Okay. So this somehow is supposed to fit into Silurian continuity. Mm. And it might be the Silurian. And they're all really bad. To, like, the thing is, as soon as you do the Silurians, you, you, it's messed up, right? Like, you're just kind of like, okay. One, the first, the name makes no sense. Mm. Um, the follow-ups <laughs> that tried to correct the name also don't make a ton of sense. Uh, they make more sense, but they... The it, it, the the point is the Silurians are associated with dinosaurs because they're supposed to be reptile people from the dawn mm-hmm. time. Um, although no episode has ever said that they actually come from an era that also has dinosaurs. Mm. Uh, we sort of infer that here and there, but they the only time they sort of tried to pin it down, they said it was from the Eocene era, and. Mm-hmm. Silurians talk about hunting apes. Well, apes didn't really exist until like 20, 25 million years ago, which was after the Eocene era. So that doesn't make sense either. Um, it's In other words, it's all super unclear. But aside, forget placing the date for a second. Um, if the Silurians have technology to send dinosaurs on a spaceship and a spaceship the size of Canada out into yeah. space... Why was that moon thing ever a problem for them? I mean, like, <laughs> you know, you'd think they would have had like colonies all over the place, and maybe they have. I actually I wouldn't mind seeing some future episodes showing that Silurians have colonized other worlds and maybe they come back to Earth at some point and try to wake up. Hey, that's a pretty good big finish right there, guys. Hey. But um it it just it you just start to question like what what the hell? Like what were they doing in this Silurian arc and then uh and then once it's saved, they just take it to Siluria. Like, why wouldn't wouldn't why wouldn't you create like Jurassic Park now that it's like this thing's come back to Earth, and there's no Silurians to take care of any of this stuff anymore? Well, like, hey, humans are kind of yeah. interested in dinosaurs too. I mean, it was our planet. Well, like, well, let's create a nature preserve. You know what it is? Our scientists were not preoccupied enough with whether they could. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Twenty fourth century scientists. They're they're too. They're too. uh, You know, aware of where their egos can take them. So yeah, Um, I think the lesson is like there's no happy medium where the Silurians are, uh, like on terms of dating them. But I do like the idea 
uh, of, of, of the strengthening the association between the Silurians and the di- and dinosaurs. I would yes. love to see more of that. I would love to see the Silurians like you know riding down. There's there's books that have the Silurians in them and they ride like raptors and stuff like that. And I I would love to see full on dinosaur Silurian society at some point. I think that is something uh, that the series has never ticked that box. Mm. And I would really, really like to see it. This isn't, this could have been that episode. This isn't that episode. Um, but it, it would be an amazing thing. Well, maybe if you ever, if you ever <laughs> read that, uh, the kid's book, Dinotopia. Um, no, I never did. I, I never, there was like a movie too, right? Or a series or something. I, I never, never a series, but I, I, I don't know. I love the idea and it's been done in, in science fiction. Harry Harrison did it with uh, East of Eden, I think was, or was it West of Eden? I am. Um, anyway, uh, it's, it's an idea that's been done. Love to see it. Love to see a dinosaur society. The doctor mm. actually visiting a dinosaur colony. Maybe it's a dinosaur base under siege. Oh yeah. Humans. How about that for a twist? Um, <laughs> Yeah, but you know, Doctor Who can do that now. So there you go, RTD. There's there's an idea for your next season with Shooty, if if you are indeed running one. Um, anyway, <laughs> that's, back yeah. to Brian. Back to Brian. I love Brian, and th- and this is you know my biggest takeaway here. I mean, I you know long time uh, Paul Tobin listeners may remember that I, I lost my dad last year, and and Brian is so dad. He's so British dad that it really it got to me. The, the the way that he said, don't be ridiculous about, you know, the beach being <laughs> on a spaceship. That was very my dad. Uh, having a trowel in your pocket. Like, mm, yeah, <laughs> just, that's, that's extreme dad. Oh my God. And, and you know, it's one of those trowels that you just like, he's like, yeah, oh, well, yeah, so I've got, just got the tool for that. Yeah. It was very him. Grab that in the um, Home Depot checkout aisle. I got him just yeah. you know, 1099. Um, and just the fact that he goes from being a guy who I think Rory's words, he says that they, they, uh, you know, he, he goes down to the shop and, and, you know, he goes to the, goes golfing and that's about it. Uh, right. You know, going from that to taking a trip to Siluria, it just, mm. it's such a pleasing story arc to me that I absolutely love Brian. He really inhabits that role. It's clear that, you know, he and Rory have a difficult relationship, but then they pilot the ship together and it's great for, you know, dads and sons. So yeah, I, I think this, this episode got to my heart and I got to it through Brian. I think that's a strong part of the episode. I think the, the mistaken companion, and we can talk about him being a companion, hmm. uh, stowing away, uh, you know, unwittingly is good. All the lines between him and Rory are probably some of the most memorable stuff. And even them piloting the ship at the end, even though it's all contrived and shoehorned in, um, that that worked. Uh, yeah. My problem with it is that it has it's not it's peripheral to the main uh-huh. story. They they uh-huh. never really get a chance to interact that much with the what turns out with the Solomon and everything else. And instead, they involve um, Nefertiti more in that, which is it wasn't necessarily bad, but it's like this is kind of the thing with this episode. Okay what they found is you get a gang together. Hmm. It's going to, unless you're really, really skilled at it, you're going to have just a bunch of threads that might not necessarily uh, interact or intertwine in the best way. And you might end up with just, okay, so that happened. Yeah. (laughs) And this thread was kind of okay. And this one kind of sucked. And some of these one, other ones just got all tangled up and didn't go anywhere. It definitely, um, definitely deserved more space, their relationship. And uh, I love that, that Rory gets a bit back. I mean, the, the fact that Solomon orders the robots to shoot Brian. 
mm, uh, yeah. in the shoulder is a great use of like showing Solomon is evil. That's why you don't need him to, yeah. shoot, to shoot the Triceratops. Um, but also gives Rory an opportunity to pull something magical out of his pocket and to prove to his dad that he is worth, you know, yeah. something as a nurse and, you know, get, get through that difficult relationship and heal him. Um, it's beautiful. It's such yeah. a beautiful scene. No, I love that. I thought, I thought it was a good, yeah, that was a good moment. Uh, it really echoed uh, in my mind. I remember I thought of Indiana Jones and the last crusade right there mm-hmm. where another similar sort of moment where yeah. father gets shot and then proves to be, kind of a bonding moment with uh, the son. Um, So yeah, and also emphasizes the evil of the bad guy. So if only they had done more of that. Okay. Well, we we have, we have four questions coming up. I do just want to throw in two more quick things about this. First of all, I did not know that it, this had the largest set in, in Dr. Mary up until that point. And for a corridor, that's right. So it's the, literally the largest corridor in Doctor Who history, right here that they're running mm. down, uh, or scampering down in, on a Triceratops. Um, I wonder and, if that stat is. It, does that include Legend of the Sea Devils? Because they did like, uh, they made well, that massive ship. There, that mm. was like the, the only thing they they could tout of that episode. That was like they spent a ton of money on the stat. <laughs> but I don't know if it's the biggest. Right. It, it's, it was certainly true at the time. It was true in 2012, yeah. but I just love the idea that at the very least it's the largest corridor. And I wonder if the randomizer is sort of bringing us to like, you know, after the corridor, the giant corridor in uh, waters of Mars, is the mm. randomizer just looking for larger and larger corridors? Well, oh, wow. it hit the jackpot here. Nice. <laughs> no bikes, but there is a triceratops. Yeah. Well, and I'll also say one more thing about Rupert Graves, who uh, plays Rudell, that was that uh, fans were absolutely squealing because at the time he was a huge hit on Tumblr, uh, okay. when, back when Tumblr was a thing. In fact, if you search Tumblr for Silver Fox, it was just Rupert Graves' uh, gifts coming up uh, as far mm. as the eye could see. So I think that was definitely one reason for bringing him in there. Perhaps why Rudell gets away with a lot more than he should. Um. Yeah. True. True. Yeah. Mm. Uh, speaking of the cast, one thing, one something notable about Brian Williams. Um, I was reading that Mark Williams, which is funny, that he had the same <laughs> same He's last like, name. I'm ready. I got my name. You got the part. Um, <laughs> he voiced Maxwell. Uh, Max, Max from Stockbridge in Big Finish. So I guess this yeah. is a recurring character in the comics. I forget his last name. Maxwell yeah, something. Maxwell Edison. Edison, that's it. Yes. Maxwell Edison in the comics. And they've brought in some of the characters from the comics to Big Finish Audios. And uh, apparently Mark Williams is the voice of Maxwell Edison as well. So. Yeah, he also voiced some Sarah Jane Adventures stuff, I believe. Uh, he is Now, he was not underused as a comedian. He's also a famous British comedian. Mm. Uh, it was on something called The Fast Show. Uh, definitely, definitely Google it. Um, great, well, great stuff. And Brian and Maxwell may both be companions, uh, according to our new system. So Indeed. we will, in a future episode talk about in detail our system but we have points that we award them for traveling in the tardis for being in more than one story and brian makes the cut he does so, yeah that's that's the yeah. big surprise go go check out pick can they check out our tiktok live uh will, will that be up on our 
We'll get uh, it TikTok somewhere. Feed. We'll get yes. it. We'll get it somewhere. Well, we'll, figure it out. we'll We'll find it somewhere. It'll be either on you follow us on all of our socials on yeah. YouTube and TikTok, and you'll you'll uh, figure out the system. Yeah, um, when it crops up. And we, there's a few other things we got to figure out before we leave uh, dinosaurs on a spaceship. And that's right. To help us are some questions. The questions are the four questions to doomsday. First question. Why did the randomizer take us here? Which we've kind of already covered. Um, we, we have. I don't think we've really gotten on Chibnall's case enough about the 10-month gap. The fact that for the, the fam was whining, whining about it. And Amy Pond, being Amy Pond, just sort of casually mentions it to the Doctor. It's like, uh, 10 months this time. It's like, uh, I know. Mm. you know. Um, and it's just a thing. It's just a line of dialogue. So <laughs> I wonder if, like, uh, did Chris Triple remember that when he wrote Revolution of the Daleks? Did was this a mm. deliberate riposte? That was an attempt to show that Yaz was really into the Doctor because she had a different reaction. But then, like Ryan, also had a different reaction. Like what? You know, the ponds yeah. were too grown up like, for the Doctor now. I almost feel like fans maybe did some. Probably with one fan wrote in after this episode. Well, I'd be more pissed than Amy, and I think people should be angry with, mm. with the Doctor and. Maybe they got that letter and just thought it was like this is representative of what people think, and yeah. but I I don't think it is. I think basically mm-hmm. Amy is pretty good about this, and she's like, yeah, yeah, I, I get it. You're a time lord and you're idiosyncratic at best, so you kind of come back whenever. And she's used to it at this point, certainly. Um, so she's like, yeah, it's been ten months. You know, hopefully, you know, you'll eventually. Uh, you'll come back, keep coming back again, but she's also sort of mentally prepare herself. Like there's going to be some point where he just doesn't come back. Mm. Yeah. And there's, uh, so the, the other revolution of the Daleks connection, uh, you know, kind of a patriarchal asshole in both, <laughs> mm. in both of those scripts. And they both sort of get away with it. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, they both get what they wanted. Uh, you know, Riddell yeah, and Robertson, you know, uh, he, he has this, but Robertson's definitely, written a lot more critically right so there's there's your uh chris tribunal upgrade over 10 years yeah yeah um yeah with know, the doctor and wardrobe there's there's the another look at smith with their proper companions the fact that he's still a bit loopy it's just two episodes after the randomizer does love to do that it's skipping over asylum of the daleks uh which is very interesting yeah, exactly. Definitely on a bit of a, a Smith kick here and wants him Smith at his loopiest. Like we even said, I was actually listening to the Dr. Widow in the Wardrobe episode we did. And mm-hmm. um, we talk about how he's kind of this is sort of late era Smith that he's he's really understands his character and he's going a little nuts. And that we we brought up uh, we talked a little bit about season seven A, you know, yeah. and is that. <laughs> uh, would would this have been would that end to Amy and Rory been better like just if, yes. if the last we saw of them was in the um the doctor and the widow with the wardrobe and we yeah, get Brian we get Brian going back so I, I don't think it is but it is again um should should the end be something I think the end should be something other than they did and I think mm. the interesting stuff here could have gone in another direction. Uh, yeah. I think they're kind of hinting at that other direction here, but um, you know, the, where they ended up going was probably not, not uh, exactly the right choice. Yeah. Well, it was, it was nice to see Brian. I've got to give Chibnall credit for Brian, by the way, it was his idea to put him in the 
Um, and uh, it was nice to see the ponds again. I think it sort of answered the should we have not seen the ponds question for us. Yeah. Uh, I think on the, on this evidence, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad they were still in it. I also have a soft spot for the power of three, but we'll get to that when we when we get to it. Yeah. All right. Second question: What if the evil plot had succeeded? Well, the evil plot's got to be Solomon's, um, yeah. or unless it's the Indian Space Agencies. Um, yeah, they're just but, trying to survive, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're, they're just being a bit norad. Sticklers uh, for the rules. Yeah, got to got to shoot down that Canada-sized vessel. It's a very important rule. Uh, it's definitely Solomon's. <laughs> it's definitely Solomon's. But yeah, yeah would, what, would he have gotten the whole ship blown up? Like if his if his plan had succeeded. Well, which plan? Sell the yeah. dinosaurs or sell Nefertiti? Right. So <laughs> I don't see him his evil plot succeeding in getting the dinosaurs because there's no one who can pilot the ship, other than right. a, the uh, the Williamses. So. Since he can't do that, the plot succeeding has to be he gets away with Nefertiti and mm. the ship gets destroyed. Um, now, you might be able to presume somehow they get back to the TARDIS in time, so maybe uh, our cast doesn't all die. Um, but then it becomes the hunt for Solomon, I guess. Right. And and or, as we specified earlier, like uh, trying to save the Earth from this rain of fire in right. the upper atmosphere. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, so a lot of lot of dark doctor Matt Smith running around going, "You stupid space agency people!" You know, um, normally it's just unit types I have to deal with, but you, yeah, gets a little bleak. I'm just mm. kind of wondering, like, who's going to pay for an ancient um, Egyptian pharaoh or queen? Yeah, you know, like I feel like what's what black market is solomon going to like what's the going rate for a velociraptor and wherever he goes like <laughs> and surely somewhere like, somewhere where dinosaur flesh is eaten yeah like where, where's dinosaur um where where are dinosaurs uh valuable other than earth you know like you would think there's like so many like i guess this is the 24th century so maybe they're not they're not that many colonies and they're not that far out yet but surely there are way better monsters that are extraterrestrial, right? Like, well, who's paying for that dinosaurs? Was, that was answered in the uh, unseen follow-up, Planet of the Seven-Year-Olds. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, they pay that's top dollar. Exactly. Yeah. For, for a dinosaur with a spaceship? Come on. You know, I just yeah. remembered on our dinosaur bingo, we've already got Mark of the Ronnie. Because yeah. that had sleeping T. Well, they looked sleeping anyway. <laughs> sleeping T. Rexes in the Ronnie Stardust. That's right, wasn't that? A, that was a T. Rex embryo, I think, in a in a jar. But then it busts uh, out sort of at the end, yeah. and then it's just kind of lying there. It doesn't it doesn't ever do anything? It does, there's no real dinosaur <laughs> action, but it's like, oh, okay, just like the one Riddell steps over. Uh, all right, so that's the evil plot. Well, we still have to answer though. Where <laughs> is the Clara Splinter? And here is another interesting question uh, on the Clara Splinter front, because again, as with the Doctor the Widow Wardrobe, that was the last episode before we see the first Clara Splinter. Okay. Uh, Souffle Girl. This is the episode after. Um, so you've got to figure that they're going to be as whatever rule holds for before in the timey-wimey you know, Doctor's timeline holds for after, right? It has to be whatever role Clara is playing here is huge. Hmm. So, <laughs> what have you got, Ben? I well, I, she can't really be on the Ark because yeah. that's Silurian 
uh, arc and that she's, I mean, she can't be here. You know what I mean? Mm. Unless she's part of the Indian space agency and she's kind of arming the missiles and she just sets them all to extra slow (laughs) after they launch. So like she makes sure that like those missiles are like just, just inching along as they go. And the doctor is all the time he needs. That's about, that's about all I could figure out. That, that could work. Um, I'm going to suggest a slightly different place for the Clara splinter to be. And that's ancient Egypt. Um, Hmm. Because if, if Nefertiti has to return, as we know now that there is evidence that she did, um, then uh, how to explain for her absence? Well, her husband, um, also known as Am- Amenhotep IV, or Ak- Akhenaten, uh, as my limits of my terrible ancient Egyptian pronunciation, um, had more than one wife. Uh, Nefertiti was known as the as the Great Wife. Oh, okay. Um, so maybe uh, Clara is wife number two who steps in to distract the pharaoh while his wife is off with, uh, you know, future hunter dude. Well, I thought you were um, going to go that she's like impersonates Nefertiti. Also possible. And maybe the records here, things are a little more coincident in that Nefertiti leaves. She's gone. <clears throat> Clara comes in, but the husband would tell the difference. And... Mm-hmm. Maybe she arranges a convenient accident or trip for him, like you know, because well, yeah, because she yeah. ruled alone, right? After the husband left, does so maybe die, yeah, maybe that all sort of happened around the same time. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, this is the great thing about ancient Egyptian history, as we know so little about it. You can really talk about inserting your own headcanon. That's basically all all Egyptian historians are doing, mm. uh, based on way less material than we have in Doctor Who. Maybe she doesn't have to be as ruthless and she could just arrange for him to be, you know, lost in time somehow. And then uh, he gets transported, you know, maybe he hunts, he hunts his first wife through cross time. <laughs> so we have this <laughs> inter- interesting ancient love story grudge match going up beyond the two of them. And then Clara just rules Egypt for a little while. I kind of like that idea of, yeah. of her actually being the Nefertiti. Yeah. Um, uh, that becomes the pharaoh. It would explain the name change. Um, and the radical and, policies. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the, the fact that she brought religious harmony back and stopped all this monotheistic focus. Um, yeah, I, I, can, I can see Clara doing that. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to vote for that one when it comes up on Spotify. <laughs> Sweet. Well, maybe that'll influence the next question, which of course is the only question. The final question for dinosaurs on a spaceship. What do we think of this episode? The pull to open rating system has four ratings. You could give it a Dalek, which is what we give a good episode of Dr. Who an Ogron, which is what we give a perhaps not so good episode of Dr. Who a professor hater, which is not so great episode, but at least we learned something. Or a Viscount banger, which we reserve for the best of the best. What do you say? Um, I'm going to ask this annoyingly with a question, which is, um, I feel that we haven't quite nailed down what the Professor Hater is and whether it's better. I originally intended it to be a a worse rating than the Ogron, um, but because we're such a positive show and and so uplifting and we we try to find the good in everything, just like the Doctor does... um, uh, every time you said it, Pete, you've said that Professor Hater is not so good episode, but at least we learned something, which makes me feel that it's better than an Ogron. 
What do you, what do you think? Oh yeah. That's kind of what yeah. I was going for that. It yeah. was like, I'm glad I saw it. Yes. Even though it's not a good episode because now like I, it was trying something there that was unusual or weird, but it didn't work. Okay. I'm going to go for your I feel definition. like an Ogron's just lazy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go for your definition here because I think this is, this could have been a Dalek. It only needs mm-hmm. a few twists for it to be a Dalek. And, you know, maybe you take a few elements out, you sort out the Solomon thing. Um, you know, maybe you get a different character than Riddell in there, or maybe you just like, just have it be about the ponds and Brian, uh, in which case, you know, I think this would be much more focused and it probably would be a Dalek. Um, and maybe you take some of the, some of the poop and, uh, you know, ball strokes out of it. Um, but yeah, if, if that's your, if that's your rating, if that's where you're going to look at, it, I'm going to call it a, a very kindly, twinkly, sparkly professor hater. <laughs> Well, that's positive. All right. Well, I'm going to, mm-hmm. this is the dark twist at the end for this episode of pull to open. I'm just <laughs> giving it an Ogron. Oh, this is, uh, I would say forgettable to the extreme. I honestly, even before I did my plot summary in TLDW, I had to read one. I had to be like, because <laughs> like I watched this about a week ago and I was just like, I don't know. You just, it just find you don't care. Like nothing really mm is used to not even i wouldn't say maximum effect not even to half of its potential effect none of the storylines that matter interact and it just felt con like we said it before it's condescending to the audience Mm. um definitely not a good silurian episode not even a great dinosaur episode yeah i gotta give it an ogron yeah there was a lot to work with here and very Mm. little of it works i'm glad we saw brian i'm glad that part worked but not much else does yeah, I think I think it's a it's a top notch professor hater. I'm going to put it at the top of all of my professor haters. Uh, may even one day become a hater Dalek hybrid. Whoa! All right. <laughs> <laughs> for for our next mini episode where we revisit our ratings, let's uh, let's put a pin in that one. You're confusing me, but I hope you don't confuse the randomizer because it's time <laughs> to activate it as we go back go back into our time ship and try to find out where we are going next. That's right. Uh, we use so. two components. Pete has one. He has the codex, which is very advanced spreadsheet, um, a spreadsheet that has been upgraded and uh, now contains only the story or will show us only the stories that we haven't been to in this fast archive of television called Dr. Who. Uh, and uh, we used to go between numbers one and 302, but now mm-hmm. we've downgraded it so that it's just one and however many stories we have left. Uh, and I plug the second number into random.org, which is a website that generates an actual random number based on the uh, number of Canadian balloons in the atmosphere. <laughs> um, hovering over Montana, Montana. Maybe, maybe random.org is behind all of this. I did actually on Twitter, by the way, write a Doctor Who script uh, uh, involving uh, sentient balloons after so many have been shot down over the US, so many UFOs in the past few days. Uh, like sentient balloons escaping <laughs> their masters, going into the upper atmosphere. It sounds like a total Doctor Who script for me. Anyway, uh, we're not going to do that, but we are going to plug a number into random.org and get an atmospheric results for where we should go next so pete what is the maximum number so after my just now update to make (laughs) the uh sorry dinosaurs on a spaceship one of the done episodes we are now at 229 Mm. 
Left to go. <laughs> All right. 229. Wow, we're, we're, we're so close. I can taste it. Um, so we challenged the randomizer before I hit this generate button, traditionally, and it has actually been listening to us lately. Hmm. Yeah, the, I know. The randomizer is, is okay. No, not, not going to say it. I'm not going to give you that bingo card for free. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but Pete, you, you got any challenges this time? Yeah, although this will probably skew a little bit to New Who, but I, given mm-hmm. that the only storyline in this one that I think worked was the Rory Bryan one, I would love to mm-hmm. see more about family, yeah. and specifically family of the TARDIS crew. Um, but the TARDIS crew could include the Doctor, and okay. he has a granddaughter. So <laughs> and he has a mom. Work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, yes, I'm, I'm going to piggyback down that a little. I'm just going to adjust it. We are recording this two days before Valentine's Day. Let's go to a, an episode with a romance in it. Ooh, not bad. Now, Get one this, for all you could, lovers out there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's get some smooth Doctor Who episodes. Take us into the night. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, this could be our chance to do the second part of, you know, Mind Warp, you know, Trial of Time Lord. Get the uh, the Perry nice. uh, Brian Blessed romance in there. Um, yeah, so okay. yeah, let's go some, romance or family, family based. Yeah, or even bromance. I'll take that. What do you like, randomizer? Let's find out. Are you ready with ready. the executor? I am. I'm ready with the codex. Let's ring it up in four, three, two, one. Moisturize me. Moisturize me. Forty-two. 42 what 42 it's, it's not uh, what i know it is it is not it's not 42, 42. <laughs> it is the mind of evil Ooh, look at you no <laughs> family no romance episode <laughs> mind okay. of evil i know nothing about it what do you know about it Pete? uh it has the master in it and he's yes. not the doctor's brother so still yeah. not family is it not um, a bromance though it's not it's, really... I could. I don't think it's a bromance. Um, <laughs> but this will strangely fill in our, mo- our our longest block of done Whoa. stories once we do it. Because uh, once we do it, we'll have done everything from Inferno to the Claws of Axis. So that'll wow. be interesting. The Codex That's slowly gets more and more full. Block. And yeah. I do see that the Masters plotting stop World War Three uh, between the United States and China. Uh, good thing that that's not relevant to a present political situation in any way. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, mm, that's, that's true. Hope that we survive to actually watch it. Right, folks. This has been a pull to open. Hey, we're a podcast. If this is not a thing you subscribe to yet, please do. It's probably a button somewhere. Go ahead and hit that. Hey, if you're watching us on YouTube, there's probably a notification button down there. Why don't you hit that so you can get us get some notifications whenever we have new content. Uh, follow us on TikTok at pull to open or on Twitter and Instagram at pull to open sixty three. Uh, tune in for our TikTok lives that we're doing every Sunday before we tape the show. Check the app to find out when those are happening. Leave us a comment. Shout it out. Hey, leave us a review. We love those. Rate us on Spotify. Let us know if you thought Dinosaur on a Spaceship was a Viscount Banger, a Dalek, an Ogron, or a Professor Hater. And come on back next time where we will set, put our minds to the mind of evil. <laughs> See you next time, guys. Bye.